This is Blatant Misreading, a podcast where we take academic and political theory somewhere it was never meant to go, popular culture. My name is Margie Tong-Oxley. My name is Aaron Posner. So for this episode, um, this is a part of our mini-series on the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx. Today we're going to be talking about the manifesto with the 1972 Elton John album, Honky Chateau. Right. So Honky Chateau is an album released in 1972 as Elton John's fifth studio album. It includes his hits Honky Cat and Rocket Man and is the beginning of his seven album chart topping streak. The album is filled with John's typical mixture of piano driven rock, ballads and blues, as well as the detailed portraits and playful themes common in John's music. The lyrics are by John's longtime musical collaborator, Bernie Taupin, and cover such topics as love, life in the city versus in the country and the space age. And so for our theories, um, this is the third part of our six-part series on the Communist Manifesto. For a more extensive theory summary of the Communist Manifesto, um, you can listen back to episode 10 of our series um, on the Pixar movie Ratatouille. As a brief summary, the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx was written in 1848 and is a foundational text of Marxism, communism, and socialism, and declares a growing conflict between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat as the oppressor and the oppressed, respectively. Marx asserts that this class conflict will ultimately result in the destruction of the bourgeoisie and the rise of a new proletariat-controlled state. The manifesto emphasizes a need for a worldwide revolution in which the proletariat across nations unite and cast off their chains. So for this episode, we are drinking wine. Uh, he doesn't mention a lot of food, but he does mention that uh, that two honky cat that living in the city is like trying to drink whiskey from a bottle of wine. So we are drinking wine from a bottle of wine. Yeah, impossible to do. Yeah, I am drinking wine and it is not whiskey. I can uh, yeah. attest to the fact that he is accurate on that. Yeah, I uh, yeah, wine, not whiskey. I'm, I'm, well, I can't. I can't. What well, wine are you drinking? Uh, what wine are we drinking? Uh, Azimuth Negre Penendez, <laughs> as Josie holds up the bottle. What are you drinking? Mm, my favorite wine. I'm drinking. Oh, it's it's got a lot of Capricio. Capricio Sangria. Yeah, it was on the clearance rack of this liquor store near me because I needed like two more dollars to be able to use my credit card to check out mm-hmm. yes. um and so i got this wine it's yeah i do love terrible. that we were talking about like the like liquor laws in our respective states you can buy wine in some bodegas like little corner stores in new york it's just that it's like it's like five percent alcohol by volume <laughs> and so it's just like basically like a like a like wine cooler it's like a little you know it's like a wine beverage it's not even like wine Oh, that's lovely. I mean, the grocery stores, they sell a lot of like O'Doul's since they have to be sold at like a separate liquor store or like a separate part of the store. And so they're always trying yeah. to trick you into buying the like the barely any alcohol or alcohol free stuff in the store. Yeah. Capitalism. I'm re- okay. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. So we are going to do a game. Uh, Josie, our producer, has prepared for us some musicians who uh, have stage names, just like Elton John, who was born Reginald Dwight. Uh, and we're going to guess mm-hmm. who, they're, who they really are based on their stage names. 
Oh, sorry, based on their real names. Yeah. We're going to guess their fake names. Okay, I have seven people for you. Great. Great. The first one is Stephanie Joanne Angelina Germanata. And I was just looking at this person's Wikipedia page. Maybe I'm cheating. Mm. I feel like I've got this one. I feel good about it. I wrote Lady Gaga. I also wrote Lady Gaga. Wow, you both have one point. Hooray! A star really is born. Okay. The second one is Valcalis Almanzar. I'm thinking. Okay. What do you think it is, Margie? I wrote Amy Winehouse. Oh, I wrote Avicii. You're both Ooh. correct. It is Cardi B. Ah. Um, both famously dead, Avicii and uh, and Amy Winehouse. Yeah. But not Cardi B. Yeah, she's yeah. Unrelated, but I saw this TikTok of someone eating dim sum, okay. and they were doing it with the that song from A Star Is Born, where they were doing the screaming part over how. Like- uh, um, hot the little soup dumplings were. Uh, they're like, ah, 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 ah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, number three, Paul David Hewson. Aaron's not letting me peek at his answers. I'm going with the guy from Toto. I wrote David Bowie. You're both incorrect. Fuck. Bono. Oh, fuck. I really thought Aaron was going to get that one right. You know the guy from Toto is John Williams' son? Like, John Williams, like, Star Wars E.T., like, his oh, son. Oh, really? He made this dumb song about Africa. Like, it, that's a, such a dumb song. It's so dumb that it's called Africa. Yeah, it's, the song it's is, the song is dumb, song. to be clear. <laughs> no, I do love the rendition of it where it's played entirely on squashes. Mm, I also love that. We should cut that out. It sounds like I'm calling Africa dumb, which I'm not. <laughs> but... <laughs> Okay, good to know. Moving on. Melissa Jefferson. Margie might have a slight advantage on this one. That's your hint. Melissa Jefferson. Wait, don't don't say yours yet because I don't have anything. What does that mean? This is psyching me out. Okay, I have my answer. Yeah, me too. I went for Nicki Minaj. I said Cher. The answer is Lizzo uh, with Margie having uh, advantage because she lives I live in, in Minnesota. Minnesota. Really letting letting my people down. Yeah, we're we're not doing so hot here. You guys aren't doing great. Does anyone think <laughs> score perhaps? I think we each just have one point. Yeah, we both got Lady Gaga. <laughs> okay. Well, I know that one because of. Go ahead. I was just saying the hit made me think it was someone from Glee, but mm. I was like, who has a stage name in Glee? And yeah. I realized, yeah, I went the whole wrong direction. The The only reason I know the Lady Gaga one I was going to say, like know her name, is because of that Facebook group that like existed. It's like, oh, Stephanie Germanota, you will never be famous. <laughs> like to bully yes, her. Yes, <laughs> I, I think that's the exact same reason. I also know that she has like a hundred names. And so I, I yeah. feel like I knew it was that. Okay. Okay. Number five, Roberta Joan Anderson. Roberta Joan 
Anderson. You guys have your guesses? I got a guess. I went with Nora Jones. I did Joni Mitchell. Aaron is correct. Woo! It is Joni Mitchell. Okay. 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 Second to last one. Calvin Broadus Jr. I'm on a fucking roll here. I need a hint. We've we've seen a movie together that has this person in it. Okay. An interesting hint. <laughs> I'm going iced tea. I, I went with Snoop Dogg. And Aaron is correct. The answer is in fact Snoop Dogg. The movie is Mac and Devin go to high school, starring Snoop Dogg and Wiz Khalifa. We've seen this movie together? Yeah, we well, saw it in really... Aspen. Okay. Are you guys ready for the last one? Yeah, I think I, I think I've lost Aaron. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm, a I'm ready. Say, I'm pretty sure this last one will only help Aaron in more. Uh, you let's never see, know. Let's see. I consider myself to be pretty stupid, so you never know. <laughs> the last one is Richard Starkey. I went with Little Richard. Went with Ringo. Fuck. And Aaron is correct. It is indeed Fuck. Wow. I feel like we've really revealed my lack of music trivia. Did you know that Gene Simmons' first name is really Chaim? Yeah, he's like a Jew, right? Yeah, his name is Chaim Witz. He was on my list, but I chose not to share that one. I, I just like the other ones more. I weirdly know that he's a Jew because I think of that Family Guy episode, uh, which is horrifying. Mm -hmm. Is he very Jewish in that? I think he just, they call him, like Lois like dated him in high school. Mm. I hate that I hate that we're talking about this. I was really banking on you doing Katy Perry as one of them. What's her real name? Kate Hudson. Oh yeah, this was in this was in a different trivia that I was doing the other night. Yeah, I put all my eggs in that basket. The problem mm -hmm. is, I stand Lady Gaga, and they were both trying to be quirky at the same time, so I could True. only stand one of them. So I stand Lady <laughs> Gaga. Yeah, that's the right choice, though. I feel like. Yeah, I agree. I feel like Katy Perry, like, is like can't be a good person. <laughs> like, there's no way. You know, and Lady Gaga very topical at the uh, the moment of this recording. Cause she sang the national anthem. Mm. Oh. She was just mentioned. In this book. She was just mentioned in this book I'm reading right now. It's about like. Oh. It's called "Meet Me in the Bathroom." It's about like the the rock scene in New York in like 2001 through 11. Mm. And it's like, a, they're about this like weird club that she went to. And they're like, oh, and Lady Gaga came out of there. And everyone's like, oh. <laughs> it's good. It's an oral history. They all come off like giant assholes. Mm, word. Word. But, yeah. And a disappointing, and a disappointing show, Aaron wins. <laughs> yeah, we should like, we should keep track of like seasons for the, for the games. We can do like I training. think I, out of this season, I think I'm dead. <laughs> Definitely losing here. Yeah. So diving into the analysis. So I think we should start off with the album name. So the album is named Honky Chateau. It's named mm -hmm. after a place, a chateau in France, where a lot of musicians recorded called Chateau d'Hérouville. So sorry for anyone who speaks French who's listening. Yeah. Uh, and another yeah, musician. Our, our French listeners, please email us. Yeah, yeah. Tell us. <laughs> tell us about the pronunciation. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> yeah, but it's a shotgun that was nicknamed by another musician who recorded there earlier on, and it, it's a was turned into a recording studio by the owner, and a lot of famous you know musicians in the sixties and seventies recorded there. Right, and I mean, I think that. You know, I mean, I think that the Chateau, you know, we were trying to, like, learn more about the Chateau to prepare for this episode, right? And we yeah. essentially, like, couldn't find anything of significance about it prior to its um, stint as a recording studio. Um, you know, but the way it's um, titled um, for the album sort of, you know, gives the sense that this is some sort of place of meaning, Right. And I think that there, you know, I think this is evident in a lot of Elton John music and a lot of British music in general of this sort of fetidization of the aristocracy, right? Like, presumably this chateau is probably just owned by, like, some rich aristocrat, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, right. We see this, we talked about for a second, you know, Sergeant Pepper is like this idea that they're this Edwardian band uh, and they're not the aristocracy, but it's all about, like, you know, the, the finer old period in England. Um yeah, so I think I imagine the Chateau as sort of like, I mean, it's obviously French and not British, but like a British manor house in any number of British Gothic literature, you know, Jane Eyre um, in Pride and Prejudice, and that, that sort of persists in English culture and literature for a long time. For sure, the sort of Francophile trend. Right. It's like, it's very I mean, fancy, but it's just a house. Like, yeah. Yes, I mean, I think that there is absolutely this this feeling with, um, you know, artifacts of the aristocracy that sort of makes it feel like everything that is associated with the aristocracy is, you know, historically significant. And I think that this is yeah. a, a, some sort of strange fetidization of the aristocracy by the bourgeoisie, right? Where this chateau yeah. is meaningless, but because it is associated with, a, with aristocratic culture, it is supposed to be important. Yeah, there's this interesting thing in which, I mean, Elton John, I mean, this as far as I know, I sound like I'm an expert, but like fairly working class, right? So him naming this this album this is sort of a you know, a joke. It's like ironic, right? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's weird because in retrospect, knowing who Elton John is now, like one of the most successful musicians of all time, it seems right. like, oh, this guy, you know, it's just like, oh, like, ha ha, the fine things. But it, it's the joke seems different when it's like he's young and it's like, ha ha ha, the fine things. I'm just this some, you know, funny looking British kid. Right. I mean, there's definitely something very strange about the idea of him being this right based upon my knowledge, which is, um, you know, um, limited to my many viewings of Rocket Man. You know, mm -hmm. this pretty working class kid very suddenly being thrown into this very high class world where he's yeah. even recording in like a chateau. Right. But yeah, I mean, I think it, it's, it's strange. And I still think that even regardless of his class background, I do think it is still um, sort of placing this sort of elite culture on a pedestal for sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Great. And so on the idea of like obsession with wealth and getting rich and then even further individualism that comes up a few times in these, in a few songs on this album. Um, the first one's maybe honky cat, the, the first song. Right. I mean, honky cat's a really classic, I think like rags to riches kind of song where it's the sort of, um, for lack of a better word, like a white trash kind of rural working class kid 
is thrown into the city and yeah. uh, into kind of high culture, right? Right. So, right. What's the story of Honky, of, of the titular character? It's, He's, it's right, confusing. I guess he makes it big in the city. Yes. The it seems as if, like, it's definitely confusing because it seems as if the, the narration is coming from him sort of being like, everyone in my hometown thinks that I'll never fit into the city, but I can fit into the city. Yeah. Right. I guess he's talking to himself. He is. Yes. Who is like, I mean, you know, to this, to, you know, despite my many listens, I still don't understand what it means. Like trying to drink whiskey out of a bottle of wine. <laughs> or getting gold from a silver mine. Right. I mean, gold is obviously more valuable than silver, but which one is the higher class one here? Is it the whiskey or the wine? Oh, I think it's, I think it's the whiskey. Cause it's like the whiskey is like the refined thing. The wine is just like, you know, you can get it in any vineyard. Like, okay. That sounds very classy. But <laughs> but then what does that mean? You know, is he like trying to gild the lily in some way? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's more just that it's like, it's pointless. Like you're looking for treasure, whether literal or metaphorical in the wrong place. Right. Like you should go to the country, which is where you'll find happiness. Mm -hmm. You can't get the treasure of golds from a silver mine in the city. Mm. Mm. That's fair. That's fair. Right. So, I mean, I think that, I mean, I think that a lot of Elton John's music, we do have this sort of balancing act between, you know, this sort of love for the city and for riches and for elite culture, but also this sort of fetishization of the maybe the simple truths of the country right 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 and a lot of that is owed i think i mean is sort of an interesting dichotomy between him and bernie toppin a lot of that is owed to bernie toppin who wrote a lot of the lyrics to a lot of the most popular elton john songs um and i you know i always got the sense that it was him who was the one you know, he's the sort of country boy who's right. idolizing the like the English countryside, mm -hmm. whereas Elton John is more like the the city, the party animal. Right, right, for sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I think with Honky Cat and I think a couple of the songs in this album, like Hercules or I'm Gonna Kill Myself, um, you know, you see, though there is sort of this running theme of sort of maybe the the countries where you can find true happiness and this sort of you know, this working class culture, there is certainly no class consciousness, I think, present in most of these songs. There yeah. is a very individualistic kind of thread that runs through his this music of kind right. of, I don't know, I guess sort of like pursuing one's own success, right? Regardless of what maybe the haters think. Right. There's a lot of blind idealism, which I think can often be the enemy of Marxism. Mm-hmm. And not that not that there's also there can be Marxist idealism, obviously, but there's this thought that's like, oh, man, I just have to find happiness for myself. Yes. I just have to uh, find a made a way to make it work, um, which. Right. The the other thing, you know, what Marx would say is like, you need to have class consciousness and collectivism. And yeah. Yes. I mean, there's no right. There's a, there's an escapism that is very kind of selfish right. in all of his music. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm just looking through the lyrics of Hercules, and I think I'm going to kill myself for anything relevant. Yeah, for, you know, I think I, I'm going to kill myself is a great song, regardless of maybe yeah, the... Funny. I mean, I think it is, like, it's a classic, I mean, you know, it's it's a basically about a teenager who's 
upset over teenage issues like not being able to borrow the car and is like i'm gonna kill myself and you're all gonna you know see uh you, like you're all gonna regret it when i kill myself it's a very yeah. a wonderful but it's, also, it's like to this very it's to this very jaunty piano yeah. <laughs> like it's kind of like almost like a ragtime like sort of like 50s dance hall piano yeah and i mean i think that you know, I mean, there's obviously not a lot of class consciousness in this this teenager's narrative, right? Um, yeah. But I mean, I think it is indicative of kind of the the kind of everyday life or the the woes of modern life themes that go on in Elton John's music. I mean, the yeah. fact that like this kid's you know big wrong in life is that he can't borrow his family's car, right? Yeah. So on that note, I mean, I think we could wonder. There's this dichotomy of the city versus the country. Mm -hmm. This also shows up in in later Elton John songs and in uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. It's all about mm -hmm. uh, how he should should never have left the country. He should have listened to his dad and stayed on the farm. Yeah. Um, and so we could wonder if there is something eco-Marxist about what he's saying here. You know, is it a call for, you know, a, a like an eco-Marxist eco would say that capitalism the industry of capitalism but not industry necessarily is kind of pillaging the environment just for profit right and i mean um even in the communist manifesto uh, marx is is at one point pretty directly comments upon these topics right i mean he yeah. um comments upon the way in which capitalism has you know very closely degraded the environment and the soil quality of europe and kind of advocating for um you know sort of more um direct action to sort of rehabilitate the environment um he also yeah. right calls for you know kind of um an equalization between industrial workers and agricultural workers um as well as um he kind of talks about the i guess the rule of the city as an oppressor over um the rural areas right that um this sort of unequal there's an unequal representation by the city that kind of um leaves people in rural areas without kind of a say in their lives right which actually makes me think and we can maybe jump a little bit and talk about mona lisa's and mad hatters mm -hmm. which is a song that i mean is sort of a portrait of new york i know that I think Bernie Taupin like wrote it while he was in staying in a hotel room for the first time in New York. Yeah. Um, I mean, it definitely has something to say about that inequality. It's basically, you know, this sort of wistful portrait of New York, but it's like, oh, there are hobos and there are rich men and like the rich men can go down, you know, go into the subway and the hobos can't. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a strange, it's kind of a strange song because I think yeah. that it's, it, it's a very, I don't know what the right word is for it, but it it's a very kind of odd portrait of income inequality in the city, in particular, like in New York at this period, right? Yeah. I mean, it's very, it's very 70s, right? It's very yeah. like, because when people talk about 70s New York, it's all about like, oh, the crime, it was so dangerous, but like it was a great place to live. Uh, the city was bankrupt. And, and it's very evocative of that, you know, people like, standing around trash cans or whatever that are, you know, standing around fires and trash cans. Like, right. It's, I don't know. It's just this idea of the story of like the beauty and the, the forlorn rundown city, um, which is, 
I don't know. It it's good that it talks about inequality, I suppose, but it's not a particularly class conscious or materialist portrait of inequality. No, I mean it very much is sort of like what's yeah, I'm trying to think of other way to say it is. It is it's sort of portraying New York is this one of like, you know, opposites, you know, it's a city full of opposites and, right. and backward things. Yeah. Like there's, you know, Mad Hatters, you know, like everything is the opposite of what it's supposed to mean. And so you have, you know, the rich man and, and the poor man right next to each other. It's it's very kind of objectifying of the, yeah. you know, of the proletariat of the, the poor man as just kind yeah. of like this object to contrast upon the rich man, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's all it's sort of almost very like Dickensy, right? Or Dickensy, yes, I guess is the right word. Yeah, um, but it's just right the poor man who's who's wise but is poor and suffers versus the rich man who knows nothing. And I mean, you know, Dickens has a lot of great things to say about class, but but it's a similar sort of you know sort of accidental almost romanticization. Yes, I think that's a great way to put it. You know, and I, I mean, I think that this is one place in which. It, it, it's hard to compare this, I think, in some ways to Communist Manifesto, because I do think that what is strange about Marx's whole, I, I get his point about the idea that we need, that there's a sort of rule of the city and that there needs to be sort of maybe a more spread of the population throughout the sort of throughout lands. But I think it, it, it kind of um, treats cities as, as, as environments that are for rich people, right? Right. And yes. that there's not, like very complex income stratification within cities themselves, right? Right. And absolutely. And and beyond that, it's just, I mean, I, I don't have enough of a grasp of 19th century history to know whether that was true. But like we know now that, you know, new urbanism has happened and cities are a more practical place for people to live, often economically, certainly for the environment. It's much worse for large amounts of people to live like out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, I think that, you know, and, and to like kind of criticize, you know, the portrayal of the country and the city here, too. I mean, I think that there is a simplistic understanding of like what the country is as well. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that there is absolutely this fetishization of the country and of the yeah. kind of, you know, purity of the country, I suppose you could call it. Right. It's very romanticist. It's very the the untouched land, very, you know, Henry David Thoreau, yeah. William Wordsworth. Yeah. Shelley asks. Yeah. Yeah. And by no means do I think that, you know, um, what Marx is envisioning as like the 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 benefit or the, you know, the the need to advocate for the country as being the same as the kind of country that is envisioned in this album. Right. Yeah. I mean, you get the real sense of this being some sort of like rich ranch um, kind of vision of the country. Yeah. Right. And and I mean, right. Who has like a rich ranch is like Paul McCartney. Right. Like, yes. who, you know, like famously lived like in Scotland on this like giant property, yes. like around this time, right after the Beatles broke up. And so it, it's it's all I mean, obviously, Elton John is like a gener a, you know the generation after the Beatles, but. It, it's all of a stripe. It's all this the same similar, you know, these British musicians who have this affinity for like, oh, the the, 
the beauty of old England in the country. Yeah, I mean, I even think about, you know, how in, in The Crown, you know, like Queen Elizabeth yeah. is constantly kind of saying like, oh, we're country folk, we're simple folk, you know, like right. we like to spend our time in the country, like hunting fucking ducks or whatever on our thousands of acres of estate, right? Yeah. In, 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 there is definitely, I was just saying, there's definitely, a, you know, there's a vision in kind of British culture where aristocracy, elite culture, and country culture can be the same thing, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, where is Elton John from? I'm just, he's from Middlesex, which is near London. So he's, it seems like he's just from basically outside London. Yeah, because I mean, in, in Rocket Man, he takes the bus, right, to go to his London music school. Yeah. Right, he's able right. to like do a daily right. and, commute. And so Toppin is from Sleaford, mm. uh, which is has a population today of only 17,000. Yeah, so that's, I feel like that's the end. Like, yeah. Toppin is from the country. He's from East England. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that there is definitely this, I think the simplest way to say it is there's just like this dichotomy drawn between the city and the country and this music that just like doesn't really make a lot of sense um, yeah. when you really kind of pull up the threads here. Definitely. Uh, Jamie Bell is so good as Bernie Toppin in, the, in Rocket Man. Yeah, he's really, you know, in case in case our listeners don't realize, we we both stand the movie Rocket Man. It's, it's, so, <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. And, yeah. As I said to Margie off mic, it's just like, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody came out and it was like, like, fine, whatever, you know, it was just like, all right, like, yeah, whatever this happened. And then once Rocket Man came out, it was just, it became completely absurd that yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody had ever been made. It's just like, like, cause it's, you know, very similar era, although, you know, Rocket Man is slightly before similar type of music, like both English, not dissimilar figures and the sort of normalization of like glam music and like glam style and music yeah and i mean i think that i mean in so many ways bohemian rhapsody is such a disappointment because i think that i mean rocketman does such a good job at kind of really talking about you know the the class and cultural background that these characters are coming from and how that influences their sort of rise to fame and yeah. i think that the way you know admittedly i saw Rocketman first then tried to watch Bohemian Rhapsody and was like this is garbage and turned it off um but I I felt like from what I did watch like the way in which Freddie Mercury's family is portrayed is very one-dimensional yeah right it's it's very just like like oh we're strict immigrants it's like come or like yeah. really like are we being serious right now yeah exactly exactly where I think that you know with um Rocketman we get an understanding that there is a lot of trauma that comes from um, Elton John's upbringing, but a lot of his his ability to be involved in music also comes from that, and his love of music right. comes from that too. Like it's a complex relationship, right. right? And it's clear that like it's clear that he has a super unhealthy relationship with his mother. Yeah, but it's not painted as like, yeah, his mother is an asshole yes. and a monster. Yeah, like it's like he's mean to him. Yes, and and that sucks. And like, but she like there are reasons, and he does a bunch of shitty shit to her. Yeah. It's, you know, this this isn't an episode about Rocket Man, but I, I wish it was in some ways. <laughs> the scene, okay, this is what I always say. Like, the scene in Bohemian Rhapsody where he's, like, he's just slept, I think, with the woman who Freddie Mercury in, in real life was with for some time before coming, you know, they broke up and he came out. Um, 
and he just like they're just lying down on a mattress on the floor in front of a piano and freddie mercury just sort of reaches over his head and plays just like dum 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 <laughs> like the first note of bohemian rhapsody is just like oh god <laughs> like that's not how it happened like are you fucking kidding right i mean rocket man is great because it doesn't try and pretend that these songs were written in this way rather it's more of a musical of his life set to his own music yeah. right yes right and i think that's why it's a good like i have a lot of fascination with like biopics right but yeah. biopics are often really bad and i think rocket man is good because it set like it ditches reality really yes. quick mm -hmm. which really plays well with the kind of i think elton john's persona right is this kind of um you right. know just extra human basically right, like very very like performative very like releasing performance on mm -hmm. stage yeah yeah um uh yeah back to honky uh, yes i mean i think that you know there's a question do you think that any of these songs have a class consciousness in them so i think the two that most are the best candidates for that are or maybe the three are salvation slave and rocket man right I, I think we could argue that, easily argue that Slave is supposed to be the most class conscious of his songs. Yeah. It's weird. It's it's like a little like it's like a little like Pete Seeger, Bob Dylan impression almost. Yeah. And so Slave as it sounds is basically about, you know, a group of slaves. It's unclear, like <laughs> I mean there slaves. there is no. like there is like mentioned like very literally like a bullwhip, these sort of like, um, there's sort of mentions of rivers. There is a sense that it could be like a song about sort of American Southern slavery, but I think you could also take it, you know, probably to be a metaphor for, you know, just working class people in general. Um, yeah. But it's sort of about, um, you know, casting off your chains and, you know, rising up together against the sort of oppressors. It's, it's very literally a, Sort of a revolutionary song right yeah definitely but you're super right that it is like it's very intentionally vague yeah. and it's i mean it almost sounds like you know a pete seeger song in that way yeah it's like you know slave slave to fight the violence we must be brave hold on strong to the love god gave slave it's like right so we're, we're talking about uprising but it is sort of just very like oh, you know, my brothers in arms, we all join together, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I mean, even the like idea of like fighting the oppressor by being brave is very, I think maybe minimizing right. of the system of capitalism or of literal slavery, right? Yeah, yes. Um, and I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, I think it's worth saying that like, I it plays into, which I never know how to like, I think work out in my head is the, the, the way in which slavery is often used to talk about you know the plight of the proletariat which i like yeah. i truly don't know how i feel i think it rubs me the wrong way um yeah even though i think that you know there's lots of you know i've read lots of histories that would suggest that um capitalism was a very direct manifestation of slavery right yeah um but there still feels something very strange in them sort of comparing here right yeah I mean, I th it's a weird tension, I think, because, I mean, I think there's a pretty good argument to be made that slavery is the worst thing that's ever happened, right? right? And, like, and so, I mean, you know, you could make a different argument, but that's a pretty, that's a, like, a one has a pretty good standing. Uh, 
And so slavery and capitalism are very tightly linked, I think. But I do think that the call of the Communist Manifesto is for workers all around the world to unite. And I think that there's a mistake that can be made in not respecting the difference of material condition. And I think the most Marxist thing to do would be to respect the difference of material condition that different people are coming from. But it's sort of sometimes I think will sound like a trivialization of the absolute horror of slavery to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like capitalism. Yeah. But it, it, but it shouldn't be a simplification, but sometimes it is. Yes. I mean, there's a great book, um, like bondage to contract, I think it's called, which is very much saying that like bondage, slave bondage very much literally after abolition, the contract was created to basically re-enslave, you know, in some sort of wage system, right. the same people. So, right. Yes, I mean, I think that there is a way to see those historical connections and while also respecting how the the material conditions of life are vastly different, which yeah. this song does not do. Yeah, I no, this song is like, right, it's, it's just like a sort of folky, like, oh, like, you know, brother and sister joined together. Yeah, and I think it reminds me of the way in which I think that sometimes... Um, we get on TV and in movies of this representation of, you know, um, you know, British working class labor struggles or, yeah. you know, of, um, you know, struggles of the IRA or other um, colonized lands by Britain on on the yeah. Great Islands of this sort of almost whimsy of it, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I think it it, it feels like along the same lines of this. I'm sorry, Romeo's having really intense sex with a with a stuffed animal right now. Romeo's Margie's dog. He's, a <laughs> he's just he's just panting really loud. It's gross. It's really gross. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, no, but definitely right. And it's like, and it's the IRA, like portrayals of IRA in the media is a great example. It's like, well, you know, other than America, Britain was probably the worst imperial power ever. Mm -hmm. And like, and they really colonized Ireland really hard. Yeah. And it was very, it was like really a nightmare. Yeah. And I mean, I think that this song is topped off by how upbeat it is. And the fact that there's a fast yeah. version of this song right. on the album. Right, because right. this is like the folk version, but then there's a sort of like 70s rock, sort of like, like Big Jagger, <laughs> yeah. like, like version. Yeah. It's super weird. Like I would hate to dance to the song. Yeah. Um, great. So then let's talk about Rocket Man. Yeah. So Rocket Man, the basic story, if you don't know, it's a great song, you should listen to it. Uh is it just like describes this point in the future where there's an astronaut who it's just it's just his job. Like he's just an astronaut and he misses his home and it's all these scenes of like domesticity but he is now lonely in space um and can't get back to his family because he's out doing his job in space yeah i mean i think i think that i, I think that in a lot of ways rocket man is a better proletariat song right yeah i agree i think one of my my favorite line of the song is probably the the line about you know not the character not understanding any of the science of what he's doing he's just like a nine to five yeah. guy and i mean i think that is um you know, it, it does capture capitalism in a lot of ways because I think it captures the yeah. the alienation of labor, right? Like he doesn't, yeah. he's not like an artisan who knows the ins and out of his craft. He's just sort of 
um, a mechanized worker kind of going through the motions, right? Yeah, right. And and even like the line early on, I mean, you know, the lines early on, he says like zero hour, 9 a.m. This like huge juxtaposition of like zero hour, super dramatic science, space, like NASA, right? Yeah. But then it's like, like 9 a.m., like, yep, like work. And like even saying like, like I'm going to be high as a kite by then, which like, yeah, like funny wordplay, right? Like he's <laughs> going into space. Uh, but also just like, like he's high, he's doing drugs, right? It's just like, yeah, like this is my job where I just like do things. Like I don't, like it, it's not something, I mean, not to make any simplifications, but it's like he's he feels he can be high. He's just like doing, he's yeah. high and he's just like doing space work. There's no, yeah, there's no, there's no joy in it, which I think that we, we typically see careers like, that of an astronaut as not even a form of labor almost, but as sort of yeah. a, I don't have the right language for it, but as this sort of, you know, sort of life fulfillment, it's almost like, yeah, it's a right. hobby, it's a but passion. I get paid for it. Yeah. A passion. Right. Right. And it's, it's like, right. It's like, right. That's so, that's a great point. Like astronauts are held up as this, like they're the paragons. They're the like, you know, the, the best of us and they go to space. Cause like, that's what we do. And, you know, it's, it's just completely separated from the idea of labor, which is bullshit because like they are working. Like, yeah. and I don't know. I'm yeah. Right. And I'm, like they certainly being an astronaut, I'm sure is a very privileged thing in a lot of ways, but they are doing labor. Yeah. I mean, I think that in a lot of ways, the labor that astronauts do is very hidden I mean, for one, I mean, astronauts are largely, um, many are soldiers, you know, and I think that is not acknowledged that they're kind of doing a military role, which I think, um, you know, other military services more easily recognized, I think, as labor, Um, as well as many are doing, like, science work when they're up in, you know, fucking space. Um, But we sort of fetishize the sort of, you know, pioneering adventurer nature of uh, astronauts as if they're kind of just doing something for the sake of the pursuit of knowledge rather than this is their job. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, right. And so, I mean, and that's all one and the same, right? Because our pioneer fetishization in the U S and the romanticism of pioneers comes from imperialism, right? Yes. And, and settling the West and the British settling America and then the Americans settling the rest of what is now America. And, and, you know, the fact that, astronauts are all soldiers is not something that i think is great like it's no it's not no you know it's like so when someone like you know fucking mike pence creates something like space force (laughs) and and it is appalling right it's very appalling (laughs) but it makes sense because it's like well all these people are soldiers and you're just formalizing this into a branch of the military yeah i was saying i mean like why do we go to space in the first place it's a part of the cold war Right? right, exactly. To prove that we're better than the communists. Yes, and I think that, you know, I think in some ways, Rocket Man is showing those kind of the stupidity of space travel. Yeah, that it's no more prestigious than any other kind of like dumb job there is because it yeah. is. There's not really a point to it. I mean, you could argue there's some point to the science and the experiments that happen there, but there's there's not really a point. It's just for the pursuit of this sort of capitalism imperialism scheme right yeah definitely right and like right if you were going to make a point it would right, exactly be for the exploration for the pursuit of knowledge but it that's not 
as someone who is just a worker in presumably whatever you know capitalist scheme this is in the future where where rocket man is working yeah he doesn't get any of that he doesn't get the benefit because he's just a worker under someone's boot like and so yes. all he gets is isolation from his family yeah like he misses his wife and his children and i think we see also the the desolation i mean he kind of talks about how there is um you know there's no this isn't a place to raise children there is you know there isn't sort of a a grander pursuit in what's being done he is going to a yeah. place that is is barren and cold and um is not going to benefit anyone yeah but yet he Definitely. does it right because he because he has to it's his job yeah no, I mean, I think it's, I think it's by far the, the obviously, I think, it, you know, it's the most famous song for a reason on the album, because I think yeah, it is, it is, yeah, I think it is a great song about kind of, you know, like all, all work is work. Yeah. Have you ever seen the, uh, the Shatner performance of this song? <laughs> no. <laughs> sounds oh, sounds oh, great. <laughs> I, I don't even know what it's at. It's like some sort of, you know, event where it like, it, it almost looks like an Oscar performance, but it's not. And Shatner's just like in a suit and he kind of just like speaks most of the song. <laughs> it it's truly bizarre. Uh great. Do we want to talk about salvation? I'm fine either way. I am okay with talking about salvation. Um I think that salvation is a stupid song. Yeah, it, it's just very I mean, listen, it's very candle in the winds. I think Candle in the yes. Wind is a very, very beautiful song by Elton John. I love that song. But this is sort of just a lesser version of the same, like, you know, 1980s, Live Aid, Feed the Children, Please, you know, Save the Hungry, yes. 1980s yes. charity bullshit. Yes. And I, I mean, I think it is maybe the only thing worth saying is that it's an example of kind of false solidarity, which is in, you yeah. know, the 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 classic problem with the, the Live Aid, right? Yeah. Um, is it's people coming together to raise money for less privileged people, but that's a complete misunderstanding of what clap of solidarity is and what revolution is. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of outrageous parts of Bohemian Rhapsody, that made me think like the part where maybe this is what happened. I don't know. Freddie Mercury was obviously a very unique and particular person, but like the fact that they like they go to the guy who's organized live aid and it's it's already like planned. And they're like, we want to play. Like, we're queen. We want to play. And he's like, listen, <laughs> we have it all planned. Like, you didn't even participate in promoting it. This is for charity and helping people. And they're like, do you fucking understand who I am? <laughs> and it's like, this is, how am I supposed to get behind this? This is outrageous. I did not make it that far in the movie, but that sounds that sounds like yeah. an apt description of the problem. I don't know why you would make it far, that far in that poopy diaper of a movie. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? This is tangential, but I feel like we are obligated to also touch upon the fact that um, Tiny Dancer was the last song played as Trump got on the plane on the day of the inauguration. Wait, by, like, by his choice? Yeah, there's actually a great, um, it's like a hilarious New York Times article about the presence of Elton John music in the Trump, uh, in Trump rallies. That's and quite that, bizarre. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Trump compares himself to Rocket Man actually quite frequently and talks about how much he loves Rocket Man and asked Elton John 
to perform, I think, at his inauguration, and Elton John declined. But on, <laughs> I mean, it was a it was a very polite decline on the right, basis of British. him being being Brit- a British citizen and it being inappropriate. Oh, sure. Um, which feels like maybe a mask for something else. But yeah, I mean, there's yeah. been many instances in which like Trump has tweeted things kind of comparing himself to Elton John, um, talking about how how he wants his rallies to be bigger than the Elton John biggest concerts, about how he has the same sort of, you know, come up story as Elton John. Um, That's insane. <laughs> yeah, which I don't know how... I like I I I think that there's something there about the class message that's put forth in Elton John's music that Donald yeah. Trump finds fascinating and relatable, but I I'm not quite sure what it is. Yeah, just even from the most cursory, like I don't really know anything about Elton John's politics, right? Yes, but like from the most cursory look on Wikipedia right now, uh, John Elton John during the 2016 EU referendum Brexit. Sharing an image with the words, build bridges, not walls. I'm voting to remain. Hashtag stronger in Europe. <laughs> like, like, what are we talking about? Are you serious? Like, clearly he would not perform. Like, I mean, you know, not to say these, I don't want to conflate these, but at the very least for the homophobia, you would think that might give him yes. pause. <laughs> yes. And I mean, he has made statements. I was reading this article that like he does, he does value relationship with whoever the American president is because of his commitment to the, his work on HIV right yeah sure um but right i mean like why would donald trump's politics line up with elton john's if purely from the homophobia um in in trump's administration (laughs) yeah you really yeah you really would wonder yeah but um you know i mean tiny answers a jam um it's a great song and i don't I don't blame him for wanting to go out on that song. <laughs> it's a weird, it it doesn't, it just doesn't have any thematic relevance. You know, you would hope there'd be some <laughs> sort of thematic relevance to like being strong or like going out and you know, like, like I'm leaving. Uh, but it's just about like dating someone. <laughs> I, I know. I mean, Rocket Man would make more sense, I think. Yeah, it would. It would make, yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> Yeah, but that was probably the most, I think the most surreal part for me of Inauguration Day was just watching that scene happen. Yeah, maybe those were his last words before he got in the helicopter. You know, like, just like Elton John said, he said, hold me closer, Tiny Dancer. Yeah, maybe he had a Tiny Dancer. (laughs) Maybe he had a Tiny Dancer in his hand, you know? Yeah, right. He just had a small, small, like one of those toy, you know, the ballerinas that like spin around. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Very cute. Uh, well, death to fascism, as I always say. Uh, yes. great. So, if you like blatant misreading, you can support us on Patreon. We have different levels and different uh, things that we give you based on how much you donate. Uh, you can find us at blatant misreading. It definitely helps us with podcast costs. Uh, <laughs> okay, Margie's just replaced my name in the section of the credits very suddenly. Uh, tune into the podcast for other, epi- other episodes in our Mark's mini series, which you can find wherever podcasts are available. If you like our podcast, please also feel free to leave us a review or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. This super helps us out. This episode of Blatant Misreading is produced by Josie Baker and created and written by Margie Tong Oxley and Aaron Posner. 
Intro music is by Connor James, and our cover art is by Hannah Grimes. Blade Misreading is recorded and produced in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and New York, New York. The undervalued labor, labor, labor of astronauts. (laughs) That's a great quote. That's such a good quote. (laughs) 